This is Chris Taylor, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? So I'm Chris Taylor. Uh, I run a company called Actionable Books at actionablebooks.com. And basically what we are working to do is distill ideas from top business books and make it very, very easy for exceedingly busy professionals to apply those ideas into their life and business. And uh, I'm building this, uh, as my wife and I joke, we're building a $20 million lifestyle business where it allows us to travel the globe and uh, go all sorts of different places, but uh, not sacrificing the long-term world domination plans that the company has. Ah, the long-term plans for world. world. Have you have you ever been to World Domination Summit? By the way, seems, dude, don't start. I <laughs> no, I haven't. Done. Okay, it just seems like it's a conference for people like Chris Taylor. So okay, so here is my confession. Um, I was totally uh, this is maybe this is where we are in the World Domination Plan. I was totally unaware of, of actionable books until a couple of months before. Uh, before we did our, our interview for that, I, th- I think you, you simultaneously showed up on the radar and I don't actually remember if you contacted me or if I contacted you and begged to do an interview. Um, I think it was more the second one. Um, because I, I really, if, if you, as, as listeners are, are, are listening to this, you know, if you know what, what the, what Leader Lab and what our podcast is about, you know that this guy is sort of doing something really similar. Right, we we like to take really good, solid research, uh, usually in the form of business books, and find the applicable ways to do it. Um, the interesting thing is, and this is a confession to me, I, I love having one foot in the academy and one foot in the practitioner space, and and being equally despised by both sides. Um, <laughs> Chris, on the other hand, is straight up in the in the practitioner space because I I find this amazing about the actionable business model true to form in the lifestyle business thing, he is all over the globe, as are all of his people. So this is the epitome of this sort of 21st century company. And he's got a lot of lessons along the way. And in order to satisfy my need for all sorts of empirical research, he's done an amazing job as as a leader learning about how to be a better virtual leader. And so it's been quite amazing. But I guess tell, start us out with, tell us the story of actual books, how it started, how it became like pretty much a, an already global business Um even though you yourself make it mostly the global business because you're all, where are you today, by the way? I'm in, uh, I'm in Spain. I'm in rural Spain, about two hours outside of uh, Barcelona, where we've uh, rented a place for the summer. And uh, HQ is currently at a farmhouse in Spain. Yeah. You, and so you can see why Chris and I have a love-hate relationship. He's an amazing guy, but I hate <laughs> everywhere he ever calls in from. So tell us a bit about actionable books. <laughs> Sure. So yeah, started out as a, as a passion project and that was really it. Um, I was coming off the heels of a failed venture, um, about seven years ago and, uh, started reading a lot to try to figure out what had happened and recalibrate both my thoughts around business and my own sort of, uh, mentality in, in regards to showing up in the world. Um, I basically I'd become a, an arrogant SOB that I wasn't proud to be. And so I was trying to recalibrate that along with, uh, learn as much as I could. Um, the irony, right? Failed venture, huge ego. Uh, maybe one led to another. Jury's still out on that. Um, but I started reading a lot, started realizing that there was a ton of great stuff in these books I was reading, sort of out of necessity, I think. Most of it was shared at a 20,000 foot level. And I was busy. I had a new job. And I just thought, you know, to actually apply these ideas takes some real sort of dedication and, and work. Uh, you can't just sort of take it off the page and put it into practice. 
And so I started writing summaries, um, but we call them actionable summaries, where it's not a it's not a business book, you know, sort of synopsis. It's it's instead one idea from that book and two ways you can easily apply it. And it was totally sort of a navel gazing exercise of how can I apply this? And if I share it through a blog, then maybe other people can hold me accountable to this. And so that's how it started. And then it's it's grown. We do, um, you know, I've got a team now of six, as you say, the six of them are spread between four countries and uh, eight time zones. Um, we've got uh, sort of the next layer. We have forty-two uh, consultants that are licensees of the material and use it with their clients. And then we have, a, you know, a, a sort of a global base of clients, everything from uh, three-person shops right up to Fortune five hundred companies. And um, they're basically using our tools, uh, specifically a tool called Actionable Workshop. To, um, to help strengthen relationships in the office place um, through the use of ideas from business books, using business books as a framework for meaningful conversation. That's, uh, that's really our model. Hmm. It's, it's a really cool model, and I, I won't say one you sort of stumbled upon because I, I want to give you the benefit of the doubt and say it was all incredibly deliberate and that at no point in time did you ever make any mistakes. Uh, you just pressed on through uh, world domination. But but I also right. I also wanted to know sort of, this is an incredibly crazy undertaking uh, that may or may not have led to the ability to spend your summers at a farmhouse in Spain. Um, I, I'm curious to see, as on a, first on a personal level and, and as a leader of this growing organization, what you learned in this process. Yeah, yeah, happy to. Um, and to answer your first question, yes, just like every other entrepreneur out there who's uh, you know had some modicum of success, it was entirely planned out from day one, made zero mistakes in the pursuit of it. That's that's yeah, been the or, path or it was totally random. It was actually called like you know a- a- actionable CDs first, and then you know that whole model's <laughs> right up. So we went to business books or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it used to be actually, believe it or not, it used to be Goose Educational Media. Oh, Inc. I was totally um, kidding. That, I really didn't. I, what, did it really no, no, have a seriously. Name? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, and that was the URL. It was GooseEducationalMedia.com. So you can imagine how much traffic we got over there and uh, how easy it was for people to uh, to type in. So, uh, yeah, no, we've learned we've learned a lot. I think you know, for me personally, I'm particularly managing a virtual team. I found that. Um, all of the uh, culture challenges that exist in in an organization that's based on the ground in the same spot, um, I, I think everything is pushed to the extreme. So when you have a sense of connectedness, it's an extreme sense of connectedness. If you feel someone sort of slipping away, you feel because they literally can just disappear um, and you just don't see them or, or know who they are or where they are. Um, so I think, you know, I've learned a lot about the importance of uh, planning and about sharing ideas ahead of time with the team and sharing agendas ahead of time. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a seat of my pants kind of guy for the most part. And I've had to sort of learn myself that I can't just be walking into a meeting not literally because it's virtual. Uh, I can't just be clicking onto a meeting um, and just, you know, leap into things because there's not that sense of, you know, being able to catch someone in the hallway or say, hey, guys, come on in here for five minutes to chat about this. It's it's really got to be a lot more structured and planned out, um, but has some incredible upside to it as well. So it, it has been and continues to be a, a fairly uh, powerful learning curve around um, all sorts of different things. But I think the biggest one is around culture, Dave, and, and the importance of having that shared sense of vision of where we're going so that people can work autonomously towards that shared uh, shared end goal. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you circled back on that word because that was the one that I took note of when you were talking. Was uh, I, um, I, I guess, how do you build culture in a virtual organization? You know, if, if you define culture so often as like the way we do things around here and the way we interact, et cetera, it's usually easier to walk into, you kind of walk into any organization and just sort of observe people interacting for um, a few minutes to an hour and understand what the culture is. But when that's virtual, I mean, how do you, how do you even do that? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, the three basic big focus points, one is results, uh, second is process, and third is relationships. Um, and being able to, to really sort of, from a leader standpoint, focus on those three pieces. Um, so, you know, to that point, we have extremely clear KPIs nothing's measured except results as far as, you know, people's work. I don't track hours. We don't track vacation days. We don't track, um, you know, where someone's working from. It's entirely based on them hitting their results. Um, so it's very results focused. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we focus on uh, on having every meeting we can via video um, so that we do have that face-to-face -face connection. You know, the, the rise of technology, I mean, for me to be here in Spain and for Louise to be in Melbourne and, and uh, you know, Doug to be in Seattle and, and everyone in between, it's, I don't think it would have been possible to have any sense of relationship or very little without, you know, Google Hangouts and Skype with 10-person calling and these types of tools. So video has been hugely powerful. Um, and then, you know, I think, you know, culture again comes through that shared sense of where we're going, a sense of how each individual fits into that vision and, and them themselves seeing the future of how it works for them. And, um, and we really strive to, to focus on that. I have one-on-one -on -one meetings with every member of my team. So the six of them on a, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis where they own the agenda. We talk about whatever they want. And sometimes it's just a chit chat catch up. We start every team meeting with a, you know, what's a big win, personal or professional, uh, in the last week. And, uh, and people talk about, you know, their kids and their dog and their house repairs. And, and you start to build those relationships, which I think feed into culture because it's, you know, getting that sense of arms locked together that we are working towards this, this shared vision. So um, I think those are the big pieces for us. You know, as, as you're saying that, I'm almost wondering if, if I approach it from this idea that it's actually harder to build culture virtually. But uh, maybe it's easier as long as you're deliberate. You know, I, th I think to the, the team of people that I work with at the university, and I don't know that, I mean, I don't have a dog, but I don't know that I know the name of their dog. And I don't know that they know any of my big wins. I, I remember I was sitting actually in a faculty meeting earlier this week, and I started looking around the, around the room, and I, I started thinking, I don't think 80% of people in here know what the name of my book is that's really kind of weird, right? But these are people I, I supposedly see every single day. And, and I wonder if almost because you see them every single day, you just take for granted actual getting to know people. And, and what you've done is a little bit more, uh, more deliberate in that regard. Yeah. And I think the deliberateness can be applied in a live setting or a virtual setting. But to your point, we've got this fallback where, well, I'm going to see him tomorrow. So I don't really need to send out that detailed agenda. I'll just tell him when I see him. And so that that goes away. And so I, I believe, yeah, I think, you know, I was talking about the polar extremes that virtual drives. I think it's either extremely dysfunctional and disorganized or um, or it's extremely, you know, sort of aligned and, uh, and exciting. So, yeah, I, I believe that. Hmm. All right. Let's get geeky here for a second, because one of the things I love about you and your, and your group is that you're about good ideas. You're about applying good ideas. You're also about realizing that experience is the best teacher. And when you can aggregate that, that experience out through the research, research into hundreds of different leaders, uh, you can end up as a better leader yourself. So you've been running virtual teams for a really long time, and you've also been searching for materials and research and evidence uh, to, to help you. Uh, in that regard, so I asked you what your personal experience, but in that regard, looking at the research side, what have you learned about how you lead your organization? Um, great. Okay. So I'll start out with some, some interesting stats. This stuff staggered me. Um, keep in mind, I'm not typically a research guy. So this is actually a lot of fun to dive into this. And uh, I had some great help from, uh, namely my wife, uh, slash business partner. Um, so, so here's the, interesting there's a part. whole other As dynamic there that we might run out of time to, to dig into, but yeah. <laughs> 
All right. <laughs> Episode two. Totally. Um, so as of September 13, in the US, there's 3.3 million people working remotely at least half the time, which is about 2.6% of the working population. Right? Yet it's as- estimated that 64 million employees, 50%, could at least work part-time, and 79% of full-time employees would like to work remotely at least part-time. So we've got this massive difference between what's actually happening, what could happen, and what people want to have happen. And what I'm seeing more and more, forget about virtual teams for a second, what I'm seeing more and more is that um, you know the companies that are attracting the brightest talent of the next generation, that are retaining the brightest talent and most engaged talent of the more seasoned uh, generations, are doing so by providing them with what they want. And it usually goes beyond a paycheck. And this idea of four to five people want to be working from home or remotely at least part time. And we're letting, you know, two out of a hundred actually work from home part time, right? Uh, is, is ridiculous to me. So I think there's this whole idea around people want to do it. Let's, let's encourage them to do it. So as far as what people, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, and, and not only that, uh, there's at least I remember a couple different studies done when, when the tasks are very clear and you know exactly what you need to do. In other words, when you don't have to problem solve, but you can just sort of put your head down and work. Uh, it seems like those people who want to, want to because they know that they'd actually be more productive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's what we're seeing. Um, and that's, you know, it's interesting because there is that balance. I think, you know, people are gen- in general social creatures, right? They want to have that sense of connection to the tribe. And particularly, you know, we've grown over 100% every year for the last three years. And um, in that rapid growth means rapid change. And people want to have that sense of connection and feeling like they're on the bus and not being dragged behind or under the bus on their way, uh, on their way forward. So, you know, there's a couple of pieces. Keith Ferrazzi has been doing a lot of work lately in studying the impact of virtual teams and how to maximize effectiveness of virtual teams. Um, he had a great article in HBR back in January um, where he's been doing this work with, uh, with Unify and, um, and just really interesting insights around what the, um, what the importance are, what the important factors are. So what he's boiled it down to is effectively there's three. There's three core criteria for creating and, and fostering a strong virtual team. Um, so one is setting ground rules for managing virtual communications. This is one of the things we did unintentionally. You know, we sort of joked about at the beginning. Most of the things we've done have been unintentional and then afterwards validated, which has been really nice uh, to uh, to have happen. Uh, but it's this idea that, you know, what does a meeting structure look like? And, you know, there's a whole other conversation around meetings being a waste of time for a large part. Anyway, we've been using the Rockefeller Habits. Excuse me. We've been using the Rockefeller Habits model for meeting structure and that idea of having that personal connection point at the beginning, we've been doing anyway, um, just because of the Rockefeller Habits model and now we're seeing that that's becoming a core part of it. Starting on time is key. Things like over-communication become more um, interesting to people in a virtual environment. Um, So, you know, just when you get an email, even if there's nothing to reply to on it, just being able to say, got it, thanks, um, really helps with breaking down that sense of isolation or or siloedness. Um, the other piece to virtual communications is the idea of having some sort of chat system. So, you know, we seem to slide back and forth between messaging on Skype, messaging on Facebook, messaging on, on Google Hangouts, um, so that you have ways to touch base with people throughout, uh, throughout the day. Um, anyway, so that's number one, setting ground rules for managing virtual communications. The second is aligning personal and professional goals. And this made me laugh when I read this because, you know, I see that with any team, regardless of what their working environment is. When you can align the personal and professional goals, there's a better team dynamic, right? People are more engaged in the work they're doing. So I thought it was funny it was being applied specifically to virtual teams, but that's in there. Um, And then the last one is this idea of strengthening relationships to enable the candor required for true collaboration. 
Um, you know, when you're in a meeting, if you're a strong leader, you can call out the elephant in the room when someone says something and everyone looks uncomfortable, but no one actually replies to it. On a, on a video chat, it's a lot harder to do that because you end up with dead air and you just don't know whether people are, you know, feeding their kids or, or disagreeing or agreeing silently or their mic's not working. Like it's just, you know, it's really hard to know what's happening there. Um, so, you know, building in the opportunity to, um, to basically give space, give room for dissent and real sort of effective discussion rather than just going with whatever someone says um, is, is important. And one of the key factors that we've discovered is allowing enough time in the agenda to do that. You know, most of the agendas, particularly because I tend to talk a lot, um, can be full just of updates. And so making sure there's enough time there for, you know, here's the thought, but what do we all think? Sending pieces out ahead of time, um, tapping into the... Um, Susan Cain's work on, uh, on uh, introverts and introverted working styles around making sure that people have information at least 24 hours ahead of time so they can prepare for it intelligently. I'm still you know, nowhere near perfect on that, but when we do it, it's amazing what an increased level of response you get um, from, from the introverts who are typically the, the good thinkers on the team too, right? I'm a good talker. Other people are good thinkers. Hmm. All right. So, so you hit on something there that um, I was sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I had this grand realization that some people who are listening might have no idea what the Rockefeller habits model is. So can, can we pause there and sort right. of explain that idea? Cause I, I love it and it's good. And it's, it jives with a lot of like we've been talking about it jives with a lot of the research, but I was like, eh, you know what? Not everybody might know what that is. It takes geeks like right. us to do that. Well, it's the same sort of thing, David, when I tell people that I'm, I'm going on leader lab and you know, the one in a thousand people that don't know what it is, I still need to explain to people, you know, what leader lab is. I or know the, it's crazy. Yeah. They, the one in a thousand or, internet, the, or yeah. the 900 yeah. in a thousand that don't even know that LDRLB <laughs> spells leader lab. Shh, that's, that's our secret as a community, by the way. Not everybody knows that. It's, it's quality and quantity, David. You're doing a great job. Um, Rockefeller Habits, written by a gentleman named Vern Harnish. Um, Vern is, I think, one of the, he's, I mean, he's up there. People know who he is when they're in the business world. But I think, you know, you compare him to a Jim Collins or something, and so fewer people, so fewer, so many, whatever, less people know who Vern Harnish is. But it I actually think he is, has been It actually is fewer, by the way. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, when you can, count, it, when you can count the number, it's fewer. When, you, when it's just a raw amount and you can't quantify it, it's less. That's why it should be 12 items or fewer in the express lane. Oh, yeah, but that's less letter, more letters and it takes up. Anyway, um, thank you. I appreciate that. I was an English undergrad. It's a guy who runs it. <laughs> <laughs> of course you were. Of course you were. Um, Vern Harnish, uh, he started EO, uh, Entrepreneurs Organization, which uh, some people may know of, massive global organization that uh, supports entrepreneurs over a million bucks a year. Um, and then he's got this great organization called uh, Gallup, which is around helping uh, companies that are growing in triple digits each year uh, to, to continue that pace or grow faster. And he called, or sorry, not Gallup, Gazelles, geez. Um, Gallup's something else entirely. Yeah, yeah, uh, he runs by a guy different <laughs> other than uh, Vern Harnish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give Vern a little too much credit there, maybe. Uh, gazelles, jeez. Um, anyway, so yeah, check out his stuff. The Rockefeller Habits is probably 20 years old now as a book, um, but it's brilliant, and I think it's it's right ahead of the curve on what people should be doing in their meetings. That's my uh, my approach to it. Yeah, and works works in person or works virtually. And I, I love the idea of um, sort of overcompensating, overcommunicating, and how that actually brings it in, giving information out 24 hours. You, whether you've stumbled upon it or you used the, uh, the research to guide you, what you're doing is actually in line with it. And it's one of the reasons that, um, actionable books, I think has become so successful. And it, 
it actually, um, to me, it begs a very interesting question. You you have this opportunity now. You have this this uh, awesome business that allows you to live in a farmhouse in Spain in the summer. Blah blah blah. Um, You're welcome to visit there. You know, you, you say that. I'll see you tomorrow. What are you having? What are you making for breakfast? Um, it makes me wonder about you and your own reading habits, though, because you read a ton of different books. It makes me wonder what do you? I, I would normally ask a guest, "What are you reading now?" For someone like you, I think mm-hmm. I have to, to ask, what are you reading now that you actually enjoy? <laughs> um, you know, the, the truthful answer to that is if I don't like it 20 pages in at this point, I toss it and move on. There's enough great books out there that uh, I, I go on to the next one. All right, so what are you um, reading past actually, page 20 on? Perfect. All right, you know what I've been reading actually, and this is as much for fun as it is anything work-related, is The Launchpad um, by uh, Randall Strauss talking about Y Combinator and the companies going through there. Um, it's not directly tied to anything we're doing. I just find the whole idea of tech startup incubators fascinating and, and sort of micro investments to be really interesting. Um, so I read that and they're reading that rather. And then the one that I'm reading in parallel, um, for the second time is, uh, where the hell is it? Um, I don't know. It's gone completely. I'm actually rereading Crossing the Chasm uh, by Jeffrey. I've got about five books on the go right now. But um, I thought, you know, I try to balance out something that's new and hot, something that's personally interesting, and something that's, uh, you know, a bit of a classic and see if I can sort of provide some uh, some thoughts on how it could be updated, which is my own little uh, pet project. No, that's that's awesome. And Crossing the, the Chasm is an awesome book. Actually, Launchpad is a great book. The, it should come with a warning label, though, because when I read it, I spent about a week thinking through how to start an incubator and then realized, like, I am grossly <laughs> under, unprepared to start an incubator. But as you read it, you're sort of like, this is awesome. I want to I totally want to do this. Um, so it's a, it's a really, like fun, yeah, yeah, no, instead I'll just try and find track down the companies that actually made it through launch and, and maybe just interview them instead. So um, Actionable is up to a, a bunch of different things because um, you've got the books and you've got the workshops, you've got all sorts of stuff. But what's next? What are you guys laying a framework for? What, what should we look out for? We're, um, you'll like this, I think. We're focused in 2015 on analytics. Um, we have a um, basically a feedback mechanism built into each workshop experience. So when a leader runs a session with their team, each participant states what their commitment is based on that session. So what do they learn and how are they applying it and by when? And that information is getting captured and validated that it took place or not by the team leader. So if you extrapolate that out over all of our clients and every working group within those clients, we get a fairly sizable amount of data coming in around you know, what language is working for commitments to be made that are actually being validated. Um, you know, does clarity of commitment actually impact the likelihood of it being completed or recognized as completed? Does the seniority or experience level of the manager have an impact on that? Does the industry impact that? And so what I'm really focused on and excited about right now is on how do you quantify basically learning sessions within your organization to say this is the number of sort of behavior changes that it created and can we track it down to what's the financial impact to the business itself so to me that's the holy grail of learning and development oh totally totally i i know lots of hr directors and then actually lots of hr professors who would want to get their hands on that that wealth of uh, of data so that's pretty awesome and you claimed earlier you're not a research guy whatever you're, <laughs> you're just as much a geek as i am uh, admit it all right, so um, <clears throat> there's obvious synergies between if you've if you've suffered through all of the Leader Lab podcasts until now and you, and you still enjoy it, then there's obviously some parallel with what Chris is doing and what you'd enjoy too. So I encourage you to check it out. But Chris, where where can we find more about actionable books about your work? Uh, pro- hopefully not at gooseegg something something dot com. Hopefully you've got a simpler <laughs> URL. 
<laughs> yeah, head over to uh, actionablebooks.com. All the summaries and author interviews are free. We actually have David on the author interview series. Worth checking out. He's a smart guy, as you know. <laughs> I'm not sure they're convinced yet. I think everybody still listens in to try and figure out if I'm a smart guy or not. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> no, that's awesome. All right, so I encourage everybody to check out um, Actionable Books, and, and there'll be obviously be a link over it if, you're, if you somehow are listening to this on the actual webpage instead of through um, iTunes or Stitcher. If you are on iTunes or Stitcher, good news is Actionable Books, pretty easy URL to remember, so I encourage you to check that out. In the meantime, Chris, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Thanks for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. Hey everybody, it's David from the Leader Lab Podcast. I just want to thank you for being a part of this community and for listening to this podcast episode. And I want to remind you that you can get even more content from us if you connect with us online. We're at Twitter, twitter.com slash LDRLB, Facebook, facebook.com slash LDRLB. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast in either iTunes or Stitcher, or just subscribe to our email newsletter and we'll email you every single time we post a new episode. Thanks so much for being a part of the community. Look forward to giving you even more great content.